It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. Haven't you thought it would be so great if you were digging in the ground and you started coming across gold nuggets? Well, while that might not be true in the physical reality, it is true as we study God's word. I love studying God's word and just seeing these grand truths, these gold nuggets just kind of come out in all these unexpected places. Well, we are going to find one of those in today's Daily Thunder. But before we get into the episode for today, I want to encourage you to consider joining us for the Ellerslie online program. Today is the last day to sign up, and we would love to have you join us in this incredible adventure to get to know God more, for your life to begin to actually work practically, and for you to know the Word of God. Well, even though we're partway through the program, it is a self-paced journey, and you have all the way through the end of the year to go through the material. And for a donation of any size, you can participate. So can I just encourage you before it's too late to sign up for the Ellerslie online special training that we are doing this summer. Now, for more information about that, you can go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to learn more about the Ellerslie online training. Well, again, I'm so excited to look at one of these grand gold nuggets in a rather surprising place as we look at Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, Well, we've been in a mini-series walking through uh, some shadows of Jesus or pictures of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. And uh, what I'd like to do for today and then on Thursday is go back to creation and uh, look at some of the insights of Jesus in the Old Testament, even even before creation, but in light of creation. Uh, Again, these are in no particular order. We've just been bouncing around all over the place. Uh, And I just thought it'd be fun to go to the very beginning, which I hear is a very good place to start. So, sorry, that was early. That was so cheesy. (laughs) Anyway, welcome to my morning. Uh, So even before we get into Genesis chapter 1, right, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, uh, what I want to do is I want to give you a couple of verses that bespeak of the fact that even before creation, Jesus— And again, we've been talking about this whole time that every page of Scripture points to the reality of Jesus and his fulfillment on the cross, which is just absolutely beautiful in my mind. And so the whole tenor of this book is Jesus. Uh, If there's one thing this book is screaming at you, it's Jesus. If there's one thrust this book is is, uh, pressing, it's Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I hope you're getting this, right? It's Jesus. Now, it's interesting, and, and of course, we all know this, but Right? The triune God has always existed. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the triune God, the Godhead, they, they, they were never created. They've always, they always have been. They're self-existent. Right? They, they always have been. They always will be. They're eternal. All that kind of stuff. So we recognize that even before creation took place, right? even before God spoke light into existence, Jesus was there right? because he is this eternal God. He is a part of the triune God. But listen to some of these verses in light of the reality of Jesus before creation. I love these. Revelation 13.8 says, The Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Or you could even translate it, The Lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. Now, (laughs) I don't even know how to describe this well. You recognize that before creation happened, Before God spoke light into existence, it says that the lamb was slain. 
And you could say, well, how does that work? Because Jesus was actually crucified 2,000 years ago, which is obviously what this is talking about. So how on earth can the lamb be slain before the foundations of the world? And the best illustration I've ever heard is that idea on a parade, right? Uh, when I was a little kid, my mom used to take me and my brother on a, to the parades, and we would sta- stand out there for hours waiting for the parade to start, and we're all excited. And eventually we hear the big boom, and the parade begins. And of course, as a little kid, you're like, oh, the candy is coming, right? Because that's really why we went to the parade, just to get all the candy they were throwing. And eventually, after a few minutes, right, the, the parade would start coming, and, and you would see the front of the parade, and then eventually you start passing in front of you, and you're getting to see the parade, and then at some point, you start looking in this direction. It's like, oh, there it goes. And because I'm in a one static location, I am seeing the parade in a very linear fashion, which is how we all function in time, right? In other words, we're seeing time in that kind of a, kind of a way. But the idea here is God is outside of time. So yes, he participates with us in time, which means he's right here in this very moment, which is phenomenally, phenomenal when you think through that kind of stuff. But he's not seeing time in terms of a linear progression. He does because he's involved in the time, but he's also outside of time. So the illustration then would be, uh, imagine with the parade, you get up like in a blimp or a hot air balloon and you're above the parade. Isn't it interesting that as the parade is progressing, you can see the beginning of the parade, you can see the middle of the parade, you can see the end of the parade, all from one perspective, all from one view. Is that making sense? So it seems like, at least least the idea here, is that yes, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, was slain 2,000 years ago on a cross at Calvary. You realize that God is outside of time. So that though he is participating in our moment, he looks at the beginning of creation, but he also sees the lamb slain in this whole big picture. Do whatever you want with that, I guess. Uh, I just think that's profound. Uh, Ephesians 1.4 says this, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Do you recognize that even before creation took place, I love this thought, you were chosen in Jesus, that, that you were the throb of his heart. You, you were on his mind. And that wasn't like, well, you know, uh, or I'll say it this way. It wasn't like you showed up and God goes, oh, no, what are we going to do with you? <laughs> like, you know, and see, you were not an accident. Your parents may have said you were an accident, but you are not an accident. Why? Because God has chosen you even before the foundations of the world. So even before he said, let there be light, you were on his mind. It's a neat thought, isn't it? That he's been waiting for 6,000 years for you to show up right now in human history. And he's just been, he's been anxious and excited for you for this time. Why? Because you're here. It's kind of a neat idea. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus is talking. He says, do you realize that there's this kingdom that was prepared even before creation existed? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Peter writes, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of, a, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Again, he's speaking of this idea that here, even before creation, Jesus was uh, foreordained for your ransom. 
that there was already a purpose or a, already a plan of redemption even before creation, which is a little mind-boggling because you realize that God never intended sin to enter the world. And yet he had a plan of redemption already set in place for the sin that was about to come into the world, which is kind of a great idea. Uh, so with that in mind, listen, listen to this great quote by David Murray. Uh, he writes in his book, Jesus on Every Page. I think it's just a neat insight. He says, although chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis describe a perfect world, they were originally written for Israel, a redeemed people in a fallen world. Although also written for us, these verses were written by Moses primarily to teach the newly redeemed people of Israel about their Redeemer God and to look to him for an even greater Redeemer and redemption, a Redeemer greater than Moses and redemption far greater than physical deliverance from Egyptian slavery. We must remember that the whole plan of redemption was already written. Redemption was already planned when God said, let there be light. Therefore, we should view creation against the backdrop of the plan of redemption as an integral part of it. And there's what he's saying is, uh, the creation story gives us a lot of great insight and, and it's phenomenal in, in so many ways. But you realize that when you look at creation, it becomes the platform or the backdrop for this great plan of redemption that God is setting into motion starting in Genesis chapter 3. Does that make any sense? In other words, God is doing something. What is it? There is this great plan of redemption to showcase the Redeemer of Jesus Christ, which is awesome. Uh, listen to Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards says, This world was doubtlessly created to be a stage upon which this great and wonderful work of redemption should be transacted. So when you look at creation then, especially in Genesis 1 and 2, what you see is this platform being set so that it can showcase this redemption of Jesus Christ. And again, even before creation existed, there was a plan of redemption, which is just like, ah, oh, it's such a cool thought to me. None of you look impressed, but hey, that's cool. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, really quick, Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> again, what I want to do this morning is just kind of give you a nugget. Again, we're looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. I just want to give you a nugget, and then on Thursday, I want to actually look at the creation account with you and look at some other insights of how, you, how we can see Jesus in this incredible creation story. <clears throat> it's interesting, when you look at Genesis <clears throat> excuse me, 1-1, of course, we've all of us probably have memorized this. But when you look at Genesis 1-1, again, it, it sets up this whole thing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I don't know what you want to do with this, uh, and I probably don't want to push this too far, but it's interesting, even in the very first word of our scriptures, which is the Hebrew word, bereshit, which is what we translate in the beginning, that bereshit, in the beginning, when you look at just that word, even just that word, the very first word of scripture, has this profundity in it about Jesus. Again, I don't know how far you want to push this, so do whatever you want with this, I guess. When you go back into ancient Hebrew, again, ancient Hebrew uh, was all done by like uh, higher, higher graphs? What's that word? What, anyway, the little picture things. Anyway, those things. <clears throat> so when you look at the Egyptian, or Egyptian, Egyptians had them too. Uh, when you look at the Hebrew pictures of what, became the modern Hebrew letters. When you look at the original pictures, each picture showcased something. For example, uh, Aleph, which is the first letter, right, had a, had a picture of an ox. It was, it was, that was the idea. Uh, a, the bet, the second letter, was the picture of a house. So when you put the letters together, like Ab is father. What is it? It's the strength, the ox of a house, 
right? It's this, it's this idea of the strength of the house. So Hebrew is just beautifully picturesque in that sense. That as you begin to get into this idea of Hebrew, and you look at some of the pictures of the letters themselves, even the pictures begin to give illustration to some of the words. Again, like father is the strength of the house, right? This ox house idea. When you look at that word bersheet, again, I don't know how far you want to push all this, but when you look at that word bersheet and you look at the pictures of the Hebrew word, here's what it says. It's son, God, destroyed by his own armor work, cross. Now, I think that's profound. So let me just give you as a sentence. The son of God is destroyed by his own arm or work upon the cross. That's actually what the word beginning in the ancient pictures of Hebrew actually spell out. Isn't that cool? I'm excited. So even at the very beginning, the word beginning has this idea of this is all about the son and his work upon a cross. And that is, that is really how the whole scriptures is being set up. And again, yeah, I understand it's hidden. And, and yes, crosses have not been invented. I get all that. But as I, as I consistently come back to you, this whole thing is a picture of Jesus on the cross. And there are so many shadows of, of, this, of this coming Messiah. There's so many shadows of the reality of the cross in the Old Testament that you, you, you cannot come and go, well, that, that's probably an accident. I honestly, I think that is God. I think that was God orchestrated. I think that's profound. That even the very beginning of our scriptures bespeak of this Messiah and his redemptive plan. Again, the lamb was slain even before the foundations of the world. It's also interesting when you actually look at the, the word itself, self, bersheet, that word, it's actually two, two words put together. One is the word bet. Uh, again, it has this idea of through. And the word rashit, one of the ways you can translate rashit legitimately is firstborn. So yeah, it's where we get the word beginning, in the beginning, but you can legitimately translate that same word in Hebrew through the firstborn. Now, that to me is profound. Why? Because we're talking about through the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. Who are we talking about? The firstborn, Jesus. He is the Son. Okay, well, I'm excited. Some of you look like you guys need some coffee this morning. But I think that's profound. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a great thought? That in the beginning, here is this, here's this great picture of the Son of God is destroyed by, by his own work upon the cross. If you look at the, if you look at the, the pictures, but if you look at the, just the language itself, it's in the beginning or through the firstborn, all this came to be, which is what the New Testament proclaims. Uh, for example, let me just give you a bunch of verses just to prove this to you. Uh, Colossians 1, 16 through 17. For by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Get this. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. That Paul is saying, do you realize the one who spoke creation into existence? It was Jesus, the only begotten of the Father. Hey, who, who was the one that created all things and who were all things created for? Jesus. Who was before all things? Jesus. In him, all things consist. Jesus. So are you getting this? Through the firstborn, which is a legitimate translation, created the heavens and the earth. That is awesome. That here is God creating the heavens and the earth. How is he doing it? Through Jesus. 
which is what Paul says. Uh, John chapter 1, again, this is all over the scriptures, but John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So how did creation come into being? Well, the New Testament says it was Jesus. And yes, the Father and the Spirit were there because it's a triune God thing and they're all acting and working together. I get that. But it's amazing that Jesus is the one that is attributed to the creation work, that he's the one speaking the creation into existence. He is the one who is crafting the worlds together. So again, as you come back into the, the Genesis 1-1 thing, right, you have this idea of the Son of God is destroyed by his own work upon the cross, but then you have this whole idea is through the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, to take that one step further, which again, I just think this is amazing. Uh, there's a word in Genesis 1-1 that we don't translate in English. And the reason we don't translate it is because it makes no sense. <laughs> it's not a word. Uh, in fact, it's, I'll, I'll even tell you where it's at. It's in the beginning, God, and then there's this word, created the heavens and the earth. And there's not a single translation that I know of that translates this word in in, in, in Genesis 1.1. And the reason, again, being is it's a non-word. So it, it's, it's like it's thrown in the Hebrew, but it makes no sense. And it's two little Hebrew letters. It's the Aleph and the Tav. Uh, Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Tav is the last letter of the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet. And it's interesting that it says, in the beginning, God, Aleph Tav, created the heavens and the earth. And again, it has puzzled people for years. And it's just like, why on earth would, in the Hebrew do they put that in there? In fact, if you follow this all of Tav thing through, it actually shows up tons of times throughout Scripture. And it's so intriguing to me, some of the places where it shows up. Let me just give you one of them. Uh, you don't have to turn there. But Zechariah 12.10. Uh, when you turn to Zechariah 12.10, it's this incredible declaration. It's a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And it says, and, and you know this verse, but let me just read it to you. Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Now here's what you know. They will look upon me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. It's speaking of this coming Messiah. In fact, the New Testament writers even go to this idea or they quote this passage that, hey, they were, they're going to look upon me whom they have pierced. Speaking about what? Jesus upon the cross. So here's Jesus upon the cross, and people are going to look upon, upon him, the Messiah, whom they had pierced. But again, it's interesting that this olive tov word shows up uh, right there. It says, when, uh, then they will look upon me, olive tov, whom they have pierced. And again, no, no translation translates this. Why? Because it makes no sense. It's like in English saying A-Z, right? So they will look upon me, A-Z whom they appeared. And it's like, that makes, how do you put that in? That makes no sense. So they, everyone just leaves it out. Ponder this though. This is so profound to me. You realize who our God is? I mean, I know you do, but I'll, I'll read it to you anyway. Uh, Revelation 1.8. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And that's quoted several times in the book of Revelation. Jesus, you know who I am? I am the first and the last. You know who I am? I'm the beginning and the end. You know who I am? I am the Alpha and the Omega. 
By the way, in Greek, the first letter of the Greek alphabet is alpha. The last letter of the Greek alphabet is omega. Again, it's, it's that beginning end thing. It's the first and last thing. So pot, just ponder this. In the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and the end. It's like us saying A-Z. Or in Hebrew, Aleph Tav. And isn't it a profound thought that throughout the Old Testament, there's like this Aleph Tav construction that keeps showing up in odd places. So listen to Zechariah 12.10 again in light of all this. You will look upon me, the Aleph Tav, whom they have pierced. Do you realize what Zechariah is even saying, hidden even in that passage, is here is God himself who's going to be pierced. And when you look upon him, he is the Aleph Tav. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the AZ, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. And you're going to look upon him and you're going to recognize that we have pierced, we have crucified God himself, the one who is the Aleph Tav, the Alpha Omega. So if you come back into that Genesis 1-1 passage then, <clears throat> that Olive Tov thing again shows up. Listen to this. In the beginning, God, Olive Tov, created the heavens and the earth. And you begin to hear this echo of, of, the, of the Messiah. You hear this echo of, do you, know who, do you know who we're talking about here? It is through the firstborn, God, who is the Olive and the Tov, the Alpha and the Omega, created the heavens and the earth. And it's like the New Testament writers pick up on this and go, yeah, he is the creator. He is the sustainer of all things. Hey, all things were made through him and for him and through him all things consist. Isn't that profound? That even just in the first word of our scriptures, there is this declaration of who our God is. That there is this annunciation of Jesus Christ, that he is the one who is creating. He is the one that is going to come. That, that all things were made for him. And even the cross, there's a, there's a there's a hint, there's an echo of the cross, even in that word beginning, that, hey, the Son of God, let me read, read this correctly, the Son of God is destroyed by, by his own work upon the cross. That, that here he is, he's, he's creating all things and he's bringing all things into being, and yet he, there's this plan of redemption that was set forth even before the foundations of the world were made. And before God said, let there be light, which we're going to look at this in the next, uh, on Thursday, but even before he says, let there be light, there was this echo of, hey, do you know who we're talking about? We're talking about God himself coming and giving himself for us. I think that is profound. Tell your faces. I mean, that is, that's awesome. Just kidding. You guys are sort of awake. I don't know about you, but that to me is what an incredible picture of Jesus. That, that even before sin came into the world, even before you know, we get into some of the redemptive stuff that we see throughout all of the Old Testament, there's just this, there's just something screaming in our faces saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And isn't it a great thought that even before this took place, even before, even before creation came into being, there was a plan of redemption for you, that God so loved us, that there was a plan of redemption even before the need for redemption was there, that, that God's heart has always been the cross, in fact, you can see that in Philippians 2, uh, verse 6 through 8. That when it, when it talks about this idea, let me just read this to you. It's that great kenosis passage. But Paul is speaking, he says, have the mind of Christ in verse 2, verse 5. But then he gives the mind of Christ. He gives this lifestyle of who God is. And he says, talking about Jesus, who being in the form of God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped because he is God. But he emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the form of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death upon a cross. I had a Greek scholar friend of mine who was pointing out the fact that it's interesting when you look at the grammar of the passage that, that this idea of he became a servant wasn't like he wasn't a servant, but now he came as a man and, well, I guess I'll be a servant. That in the Greek, just, just the, the grammar itself says that it's, it's not that he became a servant like he became a man and, ah, uh, servant. It's he's always had the nature of a servant, so therefore he came as a man. Is a better way to understand it. And then it's interesting, being forming the fan of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death of a cross. That the humility wasn't something that he took because he was a man. He always has had the humility. He's always had that heart of a cross. And isn't it interesting when you look at the life of Jesus, though the cross was an incredible act, it was this climactic event in all of human history, the cross, the cross should not have been a surprise to anybody. Because Jesus has always had the heart of a cross. In fact, his whole ministry was bleed, suffer, die, pour your life out. Don't think about yourself and just pour your life out as a ransom for everybody around you. And in what, all that, all that to say, in the Philippians 2 passage, there's this idea that this is who he has always been. He's always had this heart of a servant. He's always had humility. He's always had the cross at the forefront of his mind. That, there's, that this plan of redemption that was set forth before creation existed has always been his heart. It wasn't like sin came into the world and he's like, oh no, I, I, need, a sec I need a plan B. I, I guess I'll redeem the world. That he's always had that heart. He's always had a cross at the forefront of his mind. He's always had this servant-hearted thing taking place. Why? Because he loves you. And again, it goes back to that Ephesians passage in Ephesians 1.4 that you were chosen before the foundations of the world. That in the middle of all this, the whole plan of redemption, in the middle of all this, the lamb was slain before the foundations. In the middle of all this, even in the midst of him speaking creation into existence, he knew where things were going and therefore he made provision for you. And you were on his mind. You were chosen in him. And I've walked through this before, but the whole idea of chosen in Ephesians uh, isn't like last pick idea. It's not like we're playing dodgeball, right? Because when I played dodgeball when I was a kid, it's like, you know, they line us all up and they pick team captains and, right, they, they go through all the big, big strong guys and then all the big strong ladies and then the weaker guys and then the weaker ladies and then there's like four of us left, you know? <laughs> and we're like, pick me, you know? And, uh, and eventually the team captains are just like, ah, well, I guess I'll pick you, you know? That's not how God has chosen us. How has God chosen us? I don't know how this worked, but it's like he lines us all up and he has one first pick. And he's just, oh, I got one pick. I got one pick. Who am I going to pick? Who am I going to pick? You! And you, I don't know how this works, but you are God's first pick. And you can legitimately say that you are God's all-time number one favorite. Because you are. Now, I am too, so I don't know how that works. <laughs> you know? But we were all chosen first in him. That this wasn't like an afterthought. This wasn't like a, uh, you show up and he goes, oh, what am I going to do with you? All right, dig a hole, fill it in, dig a hole, fill it in, dig a hole, fill it in. That's not how God thinks. See, see, God has destined you for purpose. And he doesn't need you. I understand that. But he wants you. And he has chosen you before the foundations of the world in the midst of this redemptive plan that he set in, in motion even before the need of redemption was even needed. 
Do you, do you realize how much God loves us? That to me is amazing. And all that is just showcased in this idea of in the beginning, through the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. God, the Aleph and the Tav, created the heavens and the earth. I want to bask in that reality. I love Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Aleph and the Tav. And as we look upon you, the Aleph Tav, whom we have pierced, Lord, we want to celebrate the fact that it was through you that all things came into being, that creation came about. And Lord, I don't know how it works, and I don't understand all the details of it, but Lord, it is mind-boggling to me that the Lamb was slain before the foundations of the earth, that the plan of redemption was there even, even before redemption was needed, that somehow this whole creation scene is a platform to showcase the Redeemer and his redemption, you, upon a cross. And so, Lord, I just pray that today we would freshly behold you, the Son of God, the Aleph and the Tav, and your overwhelming desire to redeem us. Lord, thank you that you have chosen us before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless before you in love. That your desire is not just to pick us up and dust the dirt off, that you actually want to make us holy and blameless before you. That, that you want to change how we think and how we act and how we live and how we talk. And Lord, what an amazing reality that you have so loved us that you gave yourself. That even before it was needed, you have chosen us, that you have set a plan of motion to redeem us in place. Lord, this should cause us to worship. This should cause us to behold you and just be wowed by the realities of who you are and all that you're, you are doing so, Lord, we just want to celebrate you. We love you. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for your presence in your life. Thank you for the cross. We just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.